Hello and welcome back to the With a Terrible Fate podcast. I'm Dan Hughes. I'm Aaron Saduka. And we're back again, here to talk about whatever we want to talk about, about games. But I hope games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're going to come up, although last week we took a fun tangent into the, uh, the horrible state of movies and how I feel like I'm a, uh, I'm a walking dead person, but <laughs> we found our way back though. And in yeah. my defense, it's a little bit of a game to keep up with the descent into madness of Dan Hughes as he watches popular media unfold, regardless of whether those media are video games or not. There's a reason I share, uh, the name of the protagonist from amnesia. Because That's right. <laughs> you will, you will often when we're just hanging out, go Daniel. Daniel, <laughs> one of my favorite recurring jokes. Um, yeah, <laughs> and the most Lovecraftian amnesia too. Yes, <laughs> we forget, listeners. The best one. Oh man, the best one for this situation anyway. Uh, I'm still waiting. <laughs> Next time we get a Halloween hang, I'm finally gonna you know chain you up in a basement and open a door to darkness. So, well, we got yeah, I got to do that and then. I'm two behind now, right? This isn't I think so, yeah, because I'm out? one behind, and you still haven't gotten off your butt and played re uh, Rebirth, which you uh -huh. really, really should. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's a good segue into what we were wanting to talk about today, <laughs> oh, yes. which is there's so many games. <laughs> there's so many games to play. Arguably too many games? <laughs> I think so, but... I mean, it's, it's, I, I will say it feels like an embarrassment of riches. It's not like I feel compelled to play a bunch of bad games, but, uh, man, like it's, it's difficult to juggle kind of where I want to go and what game I want to play. So, uh, for a long time, what I would do is I would stick with one game until I platinumed it. But just recently, maybe like in the past few months, um, I would get an itch to play a game even for like a little while. And so I would pick it up. So I feel like I'm back and forth a lot. And I know that you've told me uh, off mic that with Tales of Praxis, you kind of feel like, oh, man, there's it, it, it's not really that as a problem. It's more so like everything eventually kind of blends together in a certain way or you start seeing through the matrix a little bit <laughs> with all the, all the playing that you're doing. I was talking about this with the stream yesterday. Um, it's such a weird kind of double site when it comes to working through a single series of games uh, like I'm doing with Namco's Tail series if you're playing more than one of them at once. Because on the one hand, I do think there can be so many benefits to that uh, because it kind of compels you to have a sort of uh, intertextual perspective on it where... I, I think especially if you're not used to doing those sorts of comparisons and contrasts self-consciously, just getting yourself in the right context and situation that your experiences necessarily are going to bleed together. Like it's, it's much harder for you to miss a lot of really interesting points of overlap between mm. the games that you're playing. But then on the other hand, uh, at least if you're an old man, such as myself, there, there is a tendency to become, muddled and perhaps uh, have have a harder time keeping track of the finer details, especially when what you're dealing with are very nuanced and thoughtful, elaborate storylines and mm. JRPG worlds where even to work through one of them, like you and I have talked about before, you have to keep track of sometimes a lot of 
magi technological jargon and keywords and things that interlock in very specific and potent and thematically important ways. Doing that in a way that retains fidelity across multiple games at once is feasible. And I think especially like if you're playing within a single genre, like I sometimes talk about the idea of building a muscle. Like Mm. uh, if I'm just going into a JRPG after a lot of Miyazaki games or horror games or whatever, I have to ease back into it. But you know, after basically being JRPG man for what, like a year and a half at this point, it's, it's easier to hold those things in your mind, but especially doing more than one of them at once, I don't think does you a lot of favors on that front. (laughs) I guess it is kind of like exercising because yeah, you're right. I think the the danger of hopping between JRPGs, which I have not really been doing, mm. but the danger of hopping between them is that, you know, I feel like you can mix up character names and, you know, different lexicography kind of stuff. And so I, I tend to only have one big JRPG going on at any mm. given time. So I would say right now... I have Berseria, which I keep dipping into, and I, I kind of treat it like like a movie every night mm-hmm. where I'll do like an hour and a half or two hours, sure. which is unusual because usually I do binge them, but I'm, I'm just in this mood where there's so many other games that I'm kind of flitting between them and finding the one that I want to spend the most time in. And the, I think the problem I have with JRPGs is that you have to go in with a plan <laughs> because it's mm. either I'm going to uh, devote a weekend to this and just in, you know indulge in it and kind of immerse myself in it or I'm going to treat it like I'm reading like a big book and I'm going to just like schedule time to do it mm. and usually I do the former but I feel like I've been doing the latter with Berseria and I, I'm still enjoying it it's not like it's a problem or anything but no definitely but i think a a game plan certainly helps i was even thinking about this on the stream in terms of a game plan for like which aspects of the content you really want to experience because like the difference between okay are we going to go in and actively try to cover off every piece of side content and be encyclopedic about it or are we going to aim for a more naturalistic experience of just you know focusing on exploring it and getting whatever we get out of it even if we miss things along the way like I I think having a sense of what it is that you want to extract from a game or at least you know the disposition with which you want to absorb it can be really helpful uh, even before you pick up the game right which is why I was curious when you talk about um, having itches that need scratching Mm. uh, if we dive more into like the phenomenology of why it is you're playing, you know, a bunch of different games at once, because I know just from knowing you for so many years, oftentimes it will be the case that you'll have kind of two tracks going at once, right? A game that you're kind of actively reading, if we want to talk about it that way, and I do, uh, and then one game that you use more as a grinding mechanism, something that's almost just meditative or contemplative or a, a mode of relaxing and letting it wash over you experientially rather than diving into and analyzing all the details of it. But it sounds like maybe the itches you're talking about now are, are something that fits into neither category. Yeah, I don't know. It was because now, so Persona 5 Tactica came out yesterday. And so I'm very into that. Like I lost five hours into it without <laughs> even realizing it because I was just enjoying it so much. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but, Mm. um, I think before, like if there's not a big tentpole game that I'm interested in, I do 
tend to do that where it's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go with a game that I've never played. Then I'm going to read, like you say, and then I'm going to have a game where my brain isn't in it. And I'm just going <laughs> to like dead rising is a great example. Like I just knocked out, um, the trophy for, it's like, I think it's called zombie genocider. And it's just like killing the entire population of the town. You get like <laughs> the, the real mega man buster. That's like the best weapon in the game on subsequent playthroughs. So I just did that like one night in a couple of hours. Um, and I feel like the, what was weird though, is that I have this stack of games by my TV and I was kind of cycling through them. So it was, or now it's Tales of Arise because I want to play the DLC. Uh, Batman Return to Arkham. So it was Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. Mm-hmm. Um, Berseria, Dead Rising. And then I didn't have this on a stack, but I, I slotted this into like a grind game. And it's uh, Attack on Titan Wings of Freedom because it's a game that, first of all, it's Koei Tecmo who... I love they did the neo games and ninja gaiden and everything Mm -hmm. so i'm very familiar with how they set up games but second i know the attack on titan story backwards and forwards so they're not adding anything or doing anything different it's not like dragon ball xenoverse where it's like a totally weird kind of take on things Mm -hmm. so i'm just kind of like letting it wash over me where i'm like oh yeah it's this part okay got it like this will be a fun mission (laughs) and so i'm just kind of hopping between them all in different ways of like lower engagement than I normally do with games. <laughs> so, but now the tactic is out, I'm fully involved. So, yeah. How have you been feeling mm. about that besides losing yourself in it? You said you wanted to talk a little bit about it. It's very fun. It's very cute. Um, hmm. it, it, so, uh, something kind of, I admire about it is there's this question of timelines and characters because persona five comes out, Uh, And then in Japan, Persona 5 Strikers comes out, which is a sequel to 5, and um, it's a different play style and everything. Also Koei Tecmo. Um, And then Persona 5 Royal comes out and introduces new characters and kind of changes the ending a little bit. And so my big question with Persona 5 Tactica was, how do they adjudicate that? Because this is after Mm. all of it. And they just kind of don't. <laughs> and I kind of, I, I was kind of like, oh, that's, that's brilliant. Like they just said like, yeah, people know who the Phantom Thieves are and this is just a thing we're doing. And so. <laughs> the hidden extra option. Yes. And so. <laughs> kind of like the question of, you know, what, what timeline is Joker in when he joins Smash Bros? Yeah. It's like, eh, who cares? <laughs> he's, he's here. It's He's fun. in one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Here. Everyone's here. Everyone's happy. <laughs> so um, it's very fun and it's very funny i think more deliberately than the previous entries and um i'm if the ps5 like percentage thing is anything to go by i think i'm about you know like a fifth of the way through the story Mm. um but you know it's great and i think that uh what i love is that those characters are so um well defined and fleshed out that they're doing this brilliant thing where atlases, where they can basically just say, what if we put him in this situation? You know, what if it mm-hmm. was a, a XCOM like game? And I think that's cool. So I think some people feel a little fatigue with persona five. They're ready for the next, uh, 
mainline game Persona 6. But honestly, I love those characters so much. Like, I'm fine with... There's a bunch of little side games that come out where it's like, all right, now it's a horror game. Great. Let's see what that looks like. <laughs> so that was fun. one of the things that I'd been meaning to ask you as someone who is very outside of the Persona games, though I'm sure at some point that will change. Um, but from the outside, when I see these you know, new uh, experiences and gameplay styles coming out around Persona 5 especially, I, I can't help but feel almost as if it's like, a gimmick or just a way of kind of, you know, repackaging the existing like story and characters into like a, a new style, almost like building out a whole, uh, like if you think of it as a physical arcade with a bunch of different games, right? Like, mm. Oh, come to the persona five arcade and, you know, see the characters here, there and everywhere. But it sounds like what you're saying is that, um, there's almost a thoughtful way in which putting these characters into different games with different modes of engagement actually sheds light on them in different ways. Would you say definitely? That? Mm. I think the the nice thing, too, and this is kind of like a running gag in Persona 5 circles, is that there's a character named um, Haru who uh, she shows up like at the 11th hour of the original game. And so the joke is always like, all right, who is this? Because everybody <laughs> else is so close to each other. Yeah. But what Strikers and Tactica have done is that they've really, and Royal, too, they really fleshed her out to the point where it's just, it's fun to see all of these different dynamics and like they pair different characters up. You get to see how they interact and it's not just kind of the Joker show. It's mm -hmm. all right, let's see how these other characters have uh, taken what they learned from the base story and are applying it to their lives now, which is great. Like they, they grew up and they learned. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's, what's really fun is that this story in Strikers was the same way because there's this idea that the Persona 5 characters are kind of cooked, like they're done, right? What these games actually end up being is they'll introduce one or two new characters, and then it becomes their story with the backdrop of the Persona 5 gang, mm. the Phantom Thieves kind of cheering them on. So, like, the setup in this one is um, we enter a world that appears to be the metaverse, like the the kind of surreal world that they enter into in the base game. But there's like, just things are off. Things are weird. Like there's things don't work exactly the same way. And there's not, um, the staples it seems from the prior games, like, uh, th like things just work very weirdly. Like something's, something's strange and I don't know what it is yet. So I can only speculate, mm -hmm. but, um, one of the people that you meet is this girl, Irina, and I, I cannot not think of her as Jonathan Joestar's wife, but <laughs> there she is. Um, and she's the leader of this thing called the Rebel Corps who's fighting against the, the big bad in this world. And so it, uh, not only that, but there's a missing politician that you find out um, he's just disappeared in the real world. And of course he's in the metaverse. And so they have this really interesting relationship and the Phantom Thieves are kind of a backdrop to helping them fully actualize themselves. Hmm. So it's this really cool thing that they've stumbled into where it's like episodes of a TV show where we're comfortable with the characters. And so now it's just like 
all right, who's this new person who are, what's their problem and how can the phantom thieves help them? And I think that's cool. Yeah. 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 It's almost like, um, seen through that lens. Yeah. The games have different genre styles and design languages, but it's almost, um, like, like games that are episodic in the sense of engaging Mm. different aspects of the world through the common lens of the, these known characters as the form of engagement rather than anything to do with particular play style or something like that, which is an interesting it, way of thinking about how you engage with a game. It's great. And I think like, I can't think of a game. I'm sure there are games that do this. I can't think of one offhand, but what it makes me think of is, um, I mean, the obvious answer is like, you know, Lupin the third and the phantom themes. Um, <laughs> but I like to think of it like, Sherlock Holmes or Poirot, where it's like, we know who Holmes and Poirot are, and so the fun of the episode, or Columbo, like we know who Columbo is, the fun of the episode is these other characters and their problems, and how we see them, you know? Well, and also a a nice tie-in to everything that we were talking about last week in terms of the language of cameo appearances in Tales games, right? Mm. Like, if you're someone who's actually familiar with the other games, um, whose characters are called upon and brought into the game you're working through, it's pretty similar in terms of using familiar characters who have already had their arcs and learned their lessons, you know, experiencing something new or helping to support the protagonists in this new story, figuring out whatever it is they need to learn. It's this cool, like, especially if you're familiar with the character, right? It's this shorthand for, oh, I know why they're here. I know why mm-hmm. they need to, to be here for this story, which is cool because it's like I, I know their struggle. I know their character arc, and I assume that's why they're here to help this character in this Tales game. In and Tales I love game. these series, uh, especially in games where we can go on and, and be involved in these journeys that are sufficiently long running to have these sorts of connections and revisits of different characters in different contexts or even different worlds. Because on the one hand, like you're saying, there are so many situations in these stories where they can, you know, by virtue of their own native story, feel fully cooked and then almost become like established pieces of the lexicon and engaging in new journeys. Uh, And yet, on the other hand, I think the equally cool flip side of that is we can create new opportunities to discover new aspects of those characters and help them discover or even experience new arcs in ways that we didn't expect going through their first game. Like I think about um, (laughs) the work actually that Jaron and CJ did on With a Terrible Mm. Fate, you know, long ago about, um, you know, thinking through the nature of Link in the Zelda series and saying, you know, something that is is a lost opportunity, many fans think, is that for all of the iterations of Link, we never really get to see or experience him growing up, right? And I think in, in some particular JRPG languages, even if we don't literally see the characters grow up, it's it's an interesting and fun workaround to that where you know we get to see them in familiar situations, but having them introduced to new games can give them opportunities to explore aspects of themselves that otherwise wouldn't have arisen. Like uh, I'm thinking about it too, especially in terms of this DLC that I just played for Tales of Arise, yeah. which just, just came out. So I'm not going to spoil anything, but, um, but you're very it, happy with, I love it so much. Uh, I tweeted this out. I mean, you know, we've been doing these live book clubs on Twitch since March at this point and gone through, um, 
I think like five or six Tales titles at this point, depending on how you want to count DLCs and partial playthroughs and everything like that. But mm. all that to say, I think unequivocally, I had the biggest live reaction to the finale of Beyond the Dawn of any moment on any of the playthroughs so far. So I, I want to say so much more about it, especially to you, I want to say more about it. But it's one of those uh, catch-22s where you really want to go into it blind to fully be blown away yeah. by it i was actually i was telling i was bemoaning to the stream yesterday like yeah oh it's one of those things where i want to be able to just tell dan you should play it because it's just like this other thing you love and this other story <laughs> that is one of the foundational aspects of your identity but even telling you that would spoil too much for you so right. you just have to play it <laughs> but I, all that to say like i uh i think it's um it's it's similar to what you were saying about Persona because a lot of Tales fans as well they're already champing at the bit for whatever the next mothership title is going to be like okay sure. give us Tales of whatever uh, and instead to have a follow up to Tales of Arise it's kind of unexpected and and I think to some people especially before they sit down and play it feels like a bit of a um, I don't want to say a bait and switch but something like that where they were well, looking for something other than what they were given you know and and weren't you telling me too that Tales of Arise was already kind of like a divisive entry with Tales fans. It changed a lot of the basic design language in terms of what Which people I, expected when they sit down and play a Tales game. I understand that now, having played the older mm -hmm. games, because I restarted Tales of Arise, so I just got to... Uh, I think I mentioned this last week, or maybe I just said it to you, but I got to the end of the Dohalim situation. Um, and, uh, <laughs> That's the official and, name for that, by the yeah, way. Without, like the without adding takes. spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Bay of uh, Hollowing, I, and that's all I'm going to say about that. I know, I know exactly who JFK <laughs> is in that situation too. Oh my um, God! <laughs> but, and who's um, on the grassy knoll? <laughs> it was, uh, it was really eye-opening to go back to it because, um, it. I mean, it definitely feels like a totally different game. Like mm -hmm. from playing, so I've played Symphonia, um, Zestiria, and Berseria, and. I was surprised about how different Berseria was from Zestiria because I, I mm -hmm. would have I would have imagined like, hey, we have the engine for Zestiria and this is a sequel, prequel kind of thing. So we're just going to use that again. Nope. They changed it up quite a bit. And I think for the better. Um, so there's definitely changes along the way, obviously. But yeah, Tales of Arise, I mean, seems like a big leap for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of stuff that and this goes back to what we were saying about playing through multiple games in succession and you know having multiple entries in a series fresh in your mind as you do so like it's hard to even notice how foundational some of the distinctions are until mm. you're really entrenched in the series things like, i mean you could rattle off a million of these things but things as simple as like when i'm playing um the dlc as i just did uh, back and forth with something like Tales of Graces. Here's something Tales of Graces is really well regarded for, and we talk about uh, on the stream all the time. So the series in general has these post-battle conversations, which are beloved by fans, because you get into all these random encounters, and part of the fun of it is based on who is composing your party, the four members who actually go into the fight from the, the broader pool of characters you can draw on. Uh, once the fight is done, they'll have these different pieces of dialogue with each other, and it'll vary from anything from you know just 
generic victory callouts from a single character of, of the kind, which especially you get in the earlier games, like back when they were first starting this, to as the games develop and as the language for this develops, you get very robust conversations and almost little like vignettes, like self-contained uh, <laughs> little short stories almost in, a, in just a few seconds time at the end of these battles. And many people consider Graces to be the pinnacle of this, where there are many different like permutations of these conversations based on which characters you bring into the fight. Uh, some of them are very funny. They have a variety of different camera angles. So there's like a sense of direction when you get into the post-battle conversations, which like you don't realize what a difference that can make until you're entrenched in the series, as I was saying. Mm. But then to have that, which is a mainstay in the series, then suddenly go over to Tales of Arise, nothing like that. Tr right. like, it's truly just dropped out of the design language in favor of something that feels more like a naturalistic... Um, transition between the battle and the exploration of the worlds where they're trying to minimize any distinction between those two conceptual spaces, which is fine, but makes a big difference. Couple that with things that are similarly small yet impactful, like the fact that, you know, there's really no vehicular travel as a way of navigating the world. You don't mm. get ships, you don't get airships to travel on, you get some for, you know, specific elements in the story's plot and advancing it, but you're not going to be traveling around like the world free in the Riyadh the way you are in Tales of Symphonia, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you, you don't see it until you're in the series, but many little changes like that in terms of just trying something new to make it feel like a bit of a different game very quickly sum to a radically different experience. And I would also be the first to say, not in a way that makes it worse than any of the other games. If anything, I think it just helps to give it its own sense of expression and aesthetics and everything that we really care about. But if you're going into it expecting something that feels like a Tales game according to certain dimensions, you're going to perhaps let yourself down accordingly. And that's interesting to me because, you know, it was... It's one of those it's one of those titles where I feel like I'm really glad that I played it first and because I think it got me into it, you know. I yeah. I loved it so much that it got me into it. And I think that's valuable and I think that, you know, Bamco probably does think about that very often where it's like, all right, we have this series that's been running forever. How do we get new eyes on it? And mm -hmm. I think having played the other or some of the other games, you can see like, okay, well maybe they were trying to sell you on the different play styles or, you know, certain elements like, uh, you know, oh, in this one, there's like the, um, I don't know, the kind of like uh, resource management with, with the, um, oh man, I've already forgotten the name, the lords of the region, you know, like the, the astral uh, energy. No, no. In uh, Zestiria, the, um, oh, the, the lords of the land. Yes. The lords of the land. Thank you. Um, you know, there's you can't like just that. say lords in a tales game. There are too I many know, lords. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that uh, one of the things that is really interesting to me about Tales of Arise is that they. I mean, I feel like they did kind of an overhaul in the sense that they really wanted to streamline the story, because even the things that you're talking about, like with the um, the v, like the vehicles are missing, right? Well, uh, you know, uh, Alfin and Shion, like, they need to get to a place on a boat, so they're going to take a boat, and then you're at the place, and then you're good, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like I could see how that maybe 
people feel like that strips away their freedom a little bit, but also like, I don't know, it's, it works <laughs> for the story. <laughs> what else do you need? <laughs> it works and it, yeah, just, it creates a different, um, frame of reference and focus, right? Which I think yep. is, um, is a big part of, yeah, what, what makes it stand on its own two feet is something that's a little different. And as you said, I think rightly, like maybe invite some new people into the series. Uh, we were talking about it too, as a point of comparison between graces and arise on the stream, this idea that, uh, another kind of streamlining you might call it is that like, if you look at the battle system of arise, right. Mm. I love it. It's also similarly very divisive because if you talk to a lot of longtime tales fans, one of the things that they really love and enjoy diving into oftentimes about the different entries in the series is this idea that the battle systems can be pretty complicated in some of the games. Uh, and even if you think about something like, um, from your own experience, like Berseria or the whole armatization system in yep. Zestiria, um, or even in a different sense, the choice between leaning into two different styles of arts um, between the, uh, the, I think it's strike versus technical arts is the yes. terms they use for it in Tales of Symphonia. So there are usually several different axes according to which combat can happen uh, and figuring out how to learn and optimize those and get them to interact with one another has historically been a big part of the gameplay system. Turn to Tales of Arise and it's something that feels much more cinematic, I think mm. I would say because it's also more simplistic in the sense that you really only have sort of one format to the fights. It's, you know, managing arts between ground and air and figuring out the, the right timing for boost strikes. And that's pretty much it. Bang, bang, boom, you're done. Right. Which again, like I, I have so much love for that combat system. Uh, but it's something that strikes many as a departure, but this is what I would say. I mean, if we want, if we want a bigger nugget coming out of this, I mean, I almost think of this as an interesting, extension of what uh, a lot of people have said to me and I imagine to you too about Final Fantasy 7 remake because yeah you know, if, if you're yeah and if you're listening to this and you know you haven't played it it's <laughs> I think it's reputation alone is something that a lot of people know now even if they haven't played it the idea that it's a remake but it's also a remake that is radically different than and explicitly in conversation with what happened in the original game, raising the question, especially since it's something with a similarly different design language and it feels more modern, like, well, if I'm interested in Final Fantasy or I'm interested in this big IP, like, am I doing violence to the series by sitting down and playing remake before I play the original? Is that an okay way to enter into it? And I always say, um, especially because the first time I played it, I played it with someone who hadn't played the original and she got like 95% of what was going on. Like, yeah. don't, don't be a purist and say like, no, you have to start with this thing that is less accessible to you. Uh, or that might not be as attractive in order to get into the series because it's the quote unquote right place to begin. Like if, if you're someone with a particular play style or a particular world that you're interested in, like let yourself be drawn into whatever entry, best reflects that and you can get most excited about because I think like I think if you're able to stoke your passion as a gamer uh, according to whichever entry best aligns with that and if it's something like Tales of Arise like here's a great thing that'll happen it'll be exactly what happened with you Dan with Tales of Arise right like you might get into it because of your predilections for a particular mode of gameplay or a particular you know design language but then once you find like 
various aspects of the game that also speak and point to the essence of the broader series, you'll have a whole world of different entries to explore and you'll get naturally excited about these various um, riffs on themes uh, and different flourishes of engaging in the worlds in different ways, um, exactly because you had a point of entry that could just be intrinsically exciting to you. Definitely, especially because, and I, I do think that it's an apt comparison, the two of them, because what I like about both of them very much is that they they tell a story that's so confined to themselves, and yet, if you are interested by them to go back into the other things, that's when you can say like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that that's probably where this came from. Mm -hmm. And that's really cool. And I think that it goes back to our conversation last week where it's not dependent on reference. It's just, you know, your, your frame of reference can only elevate what that story is saying. So there are certain things that maybe you, you know, you know, you see parallels between um, Alfin and Shion and, you know, like Lloyd and Colette, say, just for a pet example, yeah, right? Sure. That that doesn't in any world take away from your enjoyment of either of those stories. It only can enhance it. And I think the only way that it uh, could negatively affect your understanding of something is if you're deliberately choosing to hate something. Mm, so yeah. I, I think that you know, I'm that's, with you there. <laughs> yeah. So that's why, that's why I think it's, uh, it's fun to do and why I respect why, you know, Bamco did it that way because I think they, they probably considered that, right? It's a long, long series. And this is a point of entry for people who don't have engagement with it. I think it's also a very real life JRPG lesson. Like, you know that you and I both extol the virtues of playing JRPGs for so many reasons, but also because it's, it's very like everything I needed to know about life. I learned in a JRPG. Like mm -hmm. if you take your tongue out of your fucking cheek and take mm -hmm. that seriously, <laughs> turns out more often than not, it's probably true. Yeah. Um, and I, I think back to when I did the first live book club for Tales of Praxis, which was the remastered version of Tales of Symphonia. Mm. And I think actually like the, the last stream, if I recall, that I did of that at the conclusion of the game, I titled uh, at the end, Seek the Origin. Um, because like what happens at the end of Tales of Symphonia? Well, without major spoilers, because this is a trope that happens in many JRPGs, after adventuring through the world and exploring it in myriad ways that are just you know, naturally discovered by the character's intrinsic interests and desires and whatever they happen to be doing at the time, they eventually unravel the origins of the world, how it came to be the way it is, uh, and they end up face-to-face -face with basically the, the spirit who is responsible for bringing about space and time and all the relations between everything. And I think it's, it's just as rewarding in a narrative arc as it is to do that in real life with exploring something like a JRPG series, because if you dive into it with the most modern one, that'll be the most familiar to you where you don't feel as if you have to, um, learn a lot of obscure combat systems and things that are not in your, you know, current Ram as a gamer, uh, then you can get excited to dive back and explore other entries. And it's very much like 
kind of uncovering the origin of things, right? Like mm. I know I was, I was already losing my mind over Tales of Eternia last week, and I, I know you're, you're going to become exhausted at some point about me uh, just oh, shouting I'm play out it when I'm at your house. Of it. I know that's the plan. <laughs> I forget if we had that plan last week, but yes, I'm going no, to sit down and make. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to sit down and make Dan play this with me because it is, it is multiplayer, like any proper Tales game ought to be. Speaking of things that they changed in Tales of Arise. Uh, oh, so, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. So, yeah. so we we will be playing it through together. But one of the things that uh, got me so actively delighted about Eternia, and I think I told you this at the time, is that especially having gotten into the Tales series by playing so many of the games that came after it, since it was only the third entry in the series, it was just moment after moment of me lighting up and saying, wow, so this is where that came from in the series, or, oh man, this was the origin of that. Like we, like we talked about with the cats last week, right? Yeah. Things like that, um, which is so magical and special uh, exactly because it's, you know, gradually excavating the history and origins of the series and understanding how it came to acquire its modern standards, even though that wasn't my way into the series in the first place. It, it reminds me of um, how because we're both huge Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul fans. Sure. And it reminds me how I pitched The Sopranos to you, where I'm like, you're going to watch it, and you're going to be like, oh, that's, that's where right. they're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's always fun. I And again, that only, like, it doesn't, you know, that's not to say, like, <laughs> Breaking Bad is written by hacks. It's not. It's just like, <laughs> wow, this is a very cool iteration. Same with, you know, Tales of Arise, looking back on older games where you just go like, mm -hmm. wow, that's where all this came from. And yeah. looking forward too, like you can, you can learn so much about these games. And this is part of what I've really enjoyed about them being played non-chronologically in this Tales of Praxis study, because you can really see them echo throughout time in both directions in terms of mm -hmm. what they were iterating on and then also what they were sowing the seeds for later, which then to, you know, kick it all the way back to Beyond the Dawn makes it really satisfying for me when they decide to spend more time or exploration in a particular world because you know that for them it's going to be not just a further exploration of a particular game and these characters although surely they have reason to go back there if they decide to do so but also like a further specified riff on particular considerations and themes that um, have been considered for a long time in the broader series Right. I, I mentioned a while ago the idea of, you know, what would it be like for Link to grow up? And I think that one mm -hmm. of the things that is really cool about you know, these series like Tales of Arise and Persona that decide to dwell more on particular characters and give you different ways of engaging with them, whether that's a DLC or a different genre of game, is you can have an incredibly satisfying and complete and coherent arc for a character in the way you would in any story and then they can invite you to engage and wrestle with those characters in a new way maybe in a new time frame as a player uh, at a different point in your life too and the game comes out a little later and say like yeah you know it's totally compatible that that arc to you know save the world or you know save a person or whatever the case may be in the base mm -hmm. game was complete and satisfying and didn't need anything else in order to reach its resolution and yet, it was not the case that that resolved everything in the world and that they have made lives the characters complete. Exactly. And to yeah. be able to meditate on what the lives after that consist in and how these characters themselves might 
wrestle with the aftermath of everything that happened in the course of something as epic and complex and transformative as a JRPG, it feels very humanizing. And to do it yes. in an interactive medium where you can experience that humanization with the characters in real time, I think is really compelling and can help you well, to, you know, apply the lessons to your life as well. Absolutely. And where you, you bring your own humanity to it with your understanding yep. of who they are, you know, it's really special. I, there's, there's, um, this thing that I love in, the Persona 5, like, side games, like Strikers and, and now Tactica, where there are these little asides that are so funny because you know the characters so well. And, you know, it's it's written very sincerely. And um, there's a line that really cracked me up last night where Ryuji, who's my favorite guy, um, <laughs> and uh, he's, he's just, you know, dumb guy with a heart of gold. It's my favorite trope for those of you who yeah. don't know. Um, but uh that's why i'm your best friend right dumb guy with heart of gold <laughs> both a couple of dumb guys with hearts of gold that's right the um the uh uh politician character says something to him and he's just like uh yes well i'm i'm grateful that you uh so i'm grateful that you saved me in spite of how ungraceful and frustrating the whole situation was and uh, Ryuji just says, wow, that's the first time I've ever been apologized to and insulted at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I love and, like, that. I, I live for those moments, you know, because you, yeah. you know, you, it's just like, oh, man, that's a funny line on its own. But then you add the entire history of that character behind it and you go, mm. yep, all right, perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what a magical thing for these uh thoughtful storytellers who get to work across multiple games to do right the idea yeah. that you can perfectly experience and be satisfied with those moments in their own context and not feel like you're missing something and yet when you then go back and learn more about the characters and experience even more of their lives you see it in a different way it's like you know again everything i need to know i learned from jrpgs like we are so compelled i think as real people to try to break down our lives into these different chapters or episodes mm. or i am at least maybe maybe i'm just a narrative weirdo but i think a lot of people think about their lives like that and yeah so. yeah and because our lives are so multifaceted and continuous of course that's an artificial distinction and those chapters bleed together and inform each other in a multitude of ways and so to be able to have these more discrete and artificial models of what a chapter might look like seen through the focus of a particular game that is satisfying mm. and complete front to back, and yet which can then be further elaborated upon and explored in a number of different ways through a number of different arcs. At least for me, it can be a really clarifying experience for figuring out, all right, if I, if I wanna situate my life according to these different um, discrete narratives, it's it's not thereby impossible to unify them or put those narratives in conversation with one another to give myself a, a continuity of identity at the end of the day. I think it's also it's also very fun for me because talking about coming at them from you know your own your own life and trying to figure out all right what's going on in this that I can relate to mm. outside of just like the humanity of the people that I'm playing as. And uh, something that I've been kind of chewing on, and I want to, I want to put a pin in this for another later episode when I'm finished with Tactica. But mm. um, 
Persona 5 is very deliberately about justice and how um, there we live in an unequal world and that the the real kind of uh, catharsis of Persona 5 is holding people accountable to their disgusting actions. Mm. And that's why I think that resonated with me so much because when I played it, it was like 2018 and it, we were right in the middle of a not so fun time in America. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, not that we've gotten out of that, but um, <laughs> it was it was very cathartic and I can also see how for you know teenagers right this is a really important game because it's mm. about you know yes I'm wearing a mask but on, on the mask is actually my identity right and mm. only until I rip it off do I feel comfortable with that hidden persona that I can share with hmm. people and that's very impactful and then strikers right? I'm like, can I interrupt you for a second because yeah. I had totally forgotten about this but without saying anything else about it and I will not go on, but just in pointed response to what you just said, you've got to play beyond the dawn. <laughs> Good way. Does it have anything to do with iron mask? Perhaps you've got to play. I've got to play. Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, that makes me very excited. Strikers then comes along, right? And it's about, um, this, uh, so the metaverse is gone, but it's kind of back because this company has tapped into it with like a Siri type uh, app. Oh. And the oh, idea, no. yeah, the idea is that um, nobody thinks for themselves anymore because they're listening to um, this app. And mm. so that kind of talked about how, all right, true freedom is being able to make your own mistakes and think for yourself. Mm. Now in Tactica, uh, the setup is that instead of, so in the first game, it's palaces that you infiltrate and mm -hmm. strikers, it's prisons. And mm. now in this one, it's kingdoms and there's a ruler of the kingdom and this character, Irina leads the rebel Corps, And she, by the, the way that she frees places is she puts this flag down that looks very kind of, uh, it looks like. I, propagandistic, but I don't mean that in a bad way. It's basically like think for yourself and be free. Mm. And so it's really interesting where I think it's going is like the first one is about finding injustice. The second one is about thinking for yourself. And now this one is how do you use those in a situation where you feel oppressed, which I mm. think is really interesting for a through line. So at the same time, it's doing these different chapters. It's also keeping up with the times and what people are struggling with and mm -hmm. this really interesting outlet for, you know, this kind of fantasy outlet for exploring those feelings of like, man, what do I do when something isn't going my way or I feel like I'm trapped? I love that because of course these games don't exist in some kind of hermetically sealed fantasy vacuum. And I mm -hmm. think the ways in which either, well, in either direction, right? Either the players can take kind of the universal lessons of these games and apply it to what they're working through in their current lives, or, and it sounds like more to the point in terms of what you're saying, the game designers can, you know, pick up what people are actively wrestling with in a particular zeitgeist and tell a story that's grounded in that. I love it. I've been thinking about something actually similar with, um, with Tales of Graces because without spoilers, because I want you to play it at some point, um, 
it's really interesting because as we've talked about before, I think one of the things that is core to the experience of the Tales games is diving into very highly articulated character study. And JRPGs are always interested in characters, but I think that the Tales games in particular are really concerned with understanding the motives and origins and individual characters and how they build relationships that then inform the entire nature of the world. Mm. Um, but Graces is kind of an interesting riff on that in the sense that uh, more so than pretty much any of the other games, at least the games which I know, it has uh, a, a pretty explicit um, political overlay where there are different mm. kingdoms with very different modes of governance that you have to engage with and explore throughout the game. Um, but because of the intense character focus and the way in which Tales of Graces is also especially intimate among the titles, it has a really nice uh, mode of presentation for the player where you kind of have this model of coming to understand the way in which different governments might function according to your particular personal attachments to it, right? Mm. So you go and explore a monarchy after you've gotten to know the prince who would be king, and then you go and you explore a democracy because one of the brothers of one of the key characters has ended up there in the services of one of the affluent families, and you're going there in order to help and try to support him. So the way into all of these otherwise abstract, larger-than-life things that govern us in the real world, right? These political systems uh, is the directly personal and intimate. And I think, you know, uh, it, it resonates with me in terms of what you're saying, this idea of how JRPGs can help us to navigate the current times, because I think that's something that is so easy to experience in the modern world, this idea that oh, we're, we're being controlled or uh, unduly influenced by these systems that are too large for us to even wrap our arms around. Uh, and oftentimes what I think you're missing when, when you experience that sense of enervation is just a vantage point from which to situate yourself relative to the system. And How do you get in? Can be, yeah, and, and the, well, these stories can be a help with that, right? They're kind of mind candy for giving you these different models to just like ask the right questions to gain an understanding of the systems in the first place. I know I told you when I played it because I was so in love with it and I still am. And I've actually been thinking about replaying it. Did you ever get around to Nino Kuni two? The yes, Kingdom? absolutely. Did you play it? Yep. I, could, I couldn't remember if you had, I did. Yep. but that's, that's Loved another it. situation where it reminds me of what you're saying with. Mm -hmm. It's a know, great example of it. Yep. It's, it's so beautiful. If you haven't played Nino Kuni two, I think a lot of people slept on it just because mm -hmm. maybe the hype was over from Studio Ghibli making a game. <laughs> I, I think I like it more than the first one in a lot of ways. Um, wow. Prim I don't primarily, know if I knew that. Primarily because the point of entry character, Roland, is a jaded adult who mm. goes into it and without... Um, what I loved about it was, you know, he's, he's uh, to, to use... An annoying term. He's isekai'd, right? The isekai meaning another world, um, into the Revenant Kingdom, and he's helping this young prince kind of find peace throughout the realm. But he's introduced to us as like an older politician in our world, uh, presumably from Japan. And mm -hmm. when he goes to this other world, he's kind of de-aged to when he was maybe in his thirties, and he immediately sees it as like a second chance. 
and mm-hmm. so starts doing the right thing everywhere. And it's beautiful. And I think that what a great point of entry character for a story like that, where it's like just a guy who wants to do the right thing and isn't sure if it'll work, but is going to try his hardest to make sure it does. Not for himself, but for everybody else. It's it's just something that I don't think you get in other genres too often. I love that too, because uh, as a as a kind of meta advertisement for why it can be so much fun to have these sorts of conversations with your buddies about the games that you play and love, like especially with something as complex as a JRPG mm. across all the layers of complexity we're talking about. There's a million and one ways in which you could characterize something like Nino Kuni 2, uh, which was probably part of why, you know, given my understanding and experience with the two games, like when you said you preferred it to the first one, I kind of guffawed a little bit, but then you explain it as the story of Roland, this jaded older guy who has dropped into another world and immediately takes it as a second chance. Like immediately one, I see the game in a slightly different way, which is awesome. And two, and you know I immediately my... <laughs> understand. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. That would be Dan's favorite that's, kind yeah, of that's thing. Why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that's the best thing though. Yeah. I, I think I've been, I've been wanting to go back to a number of them. Um, like I was thinking about Dragon Quest Eleven. after we talked about it and just all these mm. games that I think are kind of like uh, warm blankets a little bit. And when you get a new one, it's so exciting because I think I'm at the point in my life now, and I think you'd agree, where even if we don't personally like it and we may never play it again, we go like, oh, I, I get what they were trying to do, and that's really interesting. And Absolutely. I think that's valid too. Oh, I think it's tremendously valid. And I think it's even more fun, I would say, to do that with games versus a medium like a film or a novel. Because Mm. when you go into it with the like charitable read of saying, all right, at a minimum, I want to figure out what it was that they were trying to express. It it also raises the question, oh, okay, I, I want to go into it with an understanding of the point they wanted me to take from this particular activity and shape of my agency that they have sculpted and afforded me right so that then you know you end with the idea of being able to at least reflect on an experience that you actively had an action that you took and you can think about the impact and how you feel about that um that constraint on your freedom that they gave you uh, and whether or not it merits uh, extension to your real life or to other games or things like that. So it can have some broader practical implications too, I think. Nice too in terms of revisiting because to dovetail with something we were talking about much earlier, like, I think I think this is one of those situations in which language can sometimes do us a disservice in even how we talk about <laughs> playing games because we have this term and idea of like sitting down and replaying a game, right? Which I think unfairly characterizes what it is to go through the same game again, as if you were Mm -hmm. having literally the same experience that you had the first time, which is of course not the case for so many reasons. But I think even something as simple as like, of course, if you sit down and play it years later, you're going to be a different person. You'll bring different things to it, see it in different ways, blah, blah, blah. But all of that blah, blah, blah is true. But also something as simple as like, because there are so many different 
ways in which you can decide to engage with a game, like we were talking about at the beginning, right? We're like, okay, I'm going to sit down and read it, or okay, I'm going to just grind through it and meditate and kind of turn my brain off. Or something that I do often, like I'll grab a portable system and use it as like bedtime reading when right before yep. I'm about to fall asleep. And those different modes of engagement can oftentimes open your eyes to seeing and thinking about the game in radically different ways than you would so, in another play style. I got to tell you, so um, I I think part of the reason I've been wanting to replay some of them is because I got the PlayStation Portal. And ah, so I can go. do that, right? Yeah, I can sit, yeah. it's like bedtime, like I'm just going to, like, as if I had a Switch, I'm going to cozy up with it, right. with, you know, Dragon Quest Eleven or something, and I'm just going to kind of do that as my evening reading, you know, to wind down. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think that there there's so many different ways to do it which is why i don't i think i used to feel bad about hopping around with games because i'm like oh mm. you know what it was okay this this is i don't mean this to sound uh, arrogant or anything but it's a known fact that when you get older you have more money and less time to play video games sure. and so when i was a kid you know i would play a game and i would feel obligated to complete it or like play it through all the way because i didn't have many yeah. now i have the luxury of having access to pretty much any game I want and I think that I feel bad about hopping around because I almost feel like I'm wasting a game or something mm -hmm. um, but I think I've kind of gotten over that especially since you know it is important to scratch those different itches so you know when I when I finish Tactica I'm going to go back to Berseria I want to get to the um, Beyond the Dawn DLC and stuff and it's uh, the only thing that's keeping me from being lazy about new games is spoilers. That's the only mm -hmm. thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, mm -hmm. I feel compelled to beat Tactica in the next few days because I don't yeah. want to see anything that's going to ruin it for me. <laughs> I know. I hate that. I, uh, yeah. I don't think I called it out on the podcast, but I have on the stream a couple of times because it's, it's amazing to me, right? It is amazing how... Bamco took the time to do something as simple and pointed as saying before Beyond the Dawn came out, hey, if you're streaming this, we would like you to be really mindful of spoilers and we would mm -hmm. like you to especially be careful about things like your thumbnails and your descriptions if you're playing beyond this certain point in the story because we want to be mindful of other players and yeah. many people were up in arms about that like laughing at them or saying it was inappropriate which just boggles my mind in a world and an age where people just seem not to care and yet people care more about video games than they ever have before and so i mm -hmm. can't imagine not being invested in the issue of avoiding spoilers if you really care about discovering a game for the first time and having the authentic experience of surprise or subversion or all of the many things that video games can achieve when you do go into it just buying into whatever system they're asking you to invest in with no expectations of what's going to eventually happen. Yeah. I know Hamaguchi and uh, Nomura did that for Remake. I remember when that remember, came out. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, I appreciate it because it's, it's like, it's this curated, beautiful thing, you know, a video game, even if it's bad mm -hmm. or you don't like it. <laughs> and I like that, you know, we're in this age now where creators do kind of feel compelled to like, don't take away from another person's experience. You know, I think that that's yeah. important. 
But. No, absolutely. But it is tough to feel like, uh, especially when otherwise you have the ability and inclination to dip in and out of games according purely to your interest or whatever strikes you at the time, to feel like there's this kind of JRPG style menace looming over your shoulder with new games where the, the you spoiler, have to play yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Or else you, uh, you fall into the spoiler trap. That can be tough. I felt that a lot in the last year too. Like, um, like I too loved final fantasy 16 to death, but I think yeah. part of what made that experience hard was that I really did feel like I needed to truck through it in two so short. It didn't get ruined. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. And I think that, you know, that's its own issue, but I, it's, I mean, we've talked about that before in various media about <laughs> how that's important to us. And so I think that that, that I can work with. Right. And then, you know, there's other games on my list. I actually, I think I do kind of tier them and how I want to play them based on that. So mm -hmm. like, I'm going to do Tactica and then I think I'm just going to motor through Arise and do the DLC so that I'm not spoiled from it but then there's other games on my list like Berseria is obvious but then like even the uh the Metal Gear collection like I know what happens in Metal Gear like I'm gonna play yeah. that if, you know for fun so it's right. not like if I if I wasn't compelled to play that on the day it came out yeah. but yeah Tactica um I saw it trending yesterday. I was like, no, thank you. And I logged off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> your internet has gone bad for a few days. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, sounds about right. As always, we covered a lot of ground, but, uh, so now what's, what's on the agenda now that the DLC is done after your, now, you know, 10 days yeah. of <laughs> continuous streaming. <laughs> uh, now that the DLC is done, it's, it's going to, well, see, this is the problem, right? It's exactly what we were just bemoaning because on the one hand, I want to have more focused and singular experiences to kind of recharge my batteries after that. And mm. on the other hand, after getting into, you know, that groove and working that muscle, I find myself saying, oh, you know, maybe I should take the opportunity to dip into the million and one other interesting games that came out this year that I haven't played yet because of Tales, like, uh, like yeah. we were talking about earlier. But at a minimum... I'm uh, I'm working through the Tales of Graces F, which is a lot of fun. So that's gonna you know fully occupy the stream once again uh, from from this coming week going forward. And then I, uh, I I'm doing what I have sometimes done in Tales of Praxis in the last while in terms of very immediately wanting to start and pick up another Tales game because I'm <laughs> a monster to play and work through on my own. But also, this is a nice way in which I use my video game stacks on the various part of my TV. I might have mentioned this last week, but I keep track physically with the boxes of, okay, these are, these are the Tales games that I've played, these are the Tales games I still need to play, and these are the Tales games that I've published on. So I can keep <laughs> vivid track of, all right, this is the backlog I have in terms of things that I've already played that I should probably yeah. put some thoughts together on before they fall out of my head or before I dump too many more JRPGs into them. So all that to say, probably going to take a break to actually do some writing, especially when you know, I'm, I'm still so stoked on Eternia, obviously. I have so many thoughts that I, I worked through on the stream with Sisteria and Berseria, and I haven't put pen to paper on them. So probably a little bit of a writing break, but too many other things to play. Um, enough to keep us busy through the end of the year, at least. There's no doubt about that. 100%. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I've, I've mentioned my list, so I've got my my schedule planned up. But apart from that, not a whole lot going on. I think, uh, let's see. 
next week, Thanksgiving. So I think we will, yeah, we'll, we, the next episode would be published after. So yes. have a lovely Thanksgiving, our American friends, uh, Canadians. I'll tell you one thing, weirdly one thing done maybe, it. maybe to end on a more optimistic note than cynicism about spoilers. One thing yeah. for which I'm thankful uh, in anticipation of Thanksgiving uh, and one thing I wanted to tell you, too, is I had this really nice conversation with someone uh, this past week who, you know, is a little bit older and she doesn't really have any direct experience with games, though, you know, her husband plays them and her kids play them. Uh, and it, it was just a nice, a really nice moment that made me feel like maybe even outside the gaming culture perception of gaming is changing because I know that you and I both and one of the reasons that I got into studying games was watching you do this in your lecture on it in high school. We felt this uh, need to defend the artistic value of games against people who actively and explicitly said there is no sense in which games can have any artistic value. Mm. So it, it felt from the get-go like this kind of fight against these gatekeepers who refuse to acknowledge the value of games. Fast forward to now, and I was telling this woman about you know the games that I had been playing and in broad strokes, the plot and uh, what, what Beyond the Dawn is concerned with, which I won't spoil here, but suffice to say, pretty heavy and trenchant and interesting themes and, and very adult themes, pressingly adult themes. And her reaction was not like to doubt or to write off, but rather to be delighted and surprised and say, oh, oh wow, so when you say like you work on games, that's what you do. Cause I thought games were just like Mario, but that's like, it's amazing that games like can, can lead you to consider things like that and can have stories about that stuff. So the idea that games are now sufficiently established and that the culture around them are such that even people who don't have deep familiarity with games are like in a position where they can like accept and be excited about that right off the bat, I think is really cool and a nice harbinger for what might be yet to come in terms of what it is we do and how people think about gaming. Yeah, that's awesome. Shout out to uh, Tom Ramsey, who said something very similar to me when Hell I was yeah. telling him my Ocarina of Time uh, presentation and he just said, uh, oh, wow. I, so it's way more than Pac-Man, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Ramsey. Oh, yep. man. Talk about cultural icons. <laughs> I know it. Well, great. Well, have a, uh, that is a nice, gracious thing to end on. So have a safe and happy Thanksgiving, our American listeners, and uh, to everyone else, have a safe and happy weekend. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Cheers, we'll talk everyone. to you next time. Next time.